Greetings and salutations. I hope your day is both tranquil and fulfilling. I am Athanasius, and welcome back to the podcast of the Boldly Immortal. It's been some time, hasn't it? Looking back, I, I remember that last year I did a similar similar thing, kind of took, took a month off toward the end of the year, and frankly, I think it was a good idea. Um, it's been really nice for me to, to unwind. I just got done with my Thanksgiving break where I got to go home and explore my my hometown and, and the, oh man, the majesty, the glory of the, uh, well, the walls of Moria, the canyon walls that line the river near which I grew up, and uh, man, there's something to that quietude, there's something glorious to that quietude that, uh, well, my current environment can't quite match. And there was also, you know, quite a bit of good there in in the ability to just hang out, to just be with family and uh, friends and and just to see uh, see what it was like to slow things down and change change the pace up a little bit. Um, so it's been a really good 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 little break and so I'm uh, glad that you were here uh, when I got back and um, hope hope that this can kind of slowly bring it all back together. I was looking back at the things I've been pondering, though, and frankly, a lot of them are the things I've already covered. Um, just been trying to, to meditate on them. So I think I'll, uh, I'll just give a brief overview of the kind of stuff that I'm dealing with right now. Um, the first big change of this year for me was the, the move into ruminants. Right. The, I did keto for a little while and went carnivore for Lent, kind of the inversion of that classic trope of, you know, hey, you know, give up something for Lent. Well, I was like, I gave up everything but meat. And usually that's the one thing that is a default give up for a lot of people. So uh, it was good. It was a good change of pace, though. Um, fantastic. It's been, I felt really good and it's really gotten me through a lot of the uh, anxiety of social isolation, which was another new thing. Um, having to handle the consequences of coronavirus fear, and that uh, that definitely caused some some angst, and uh, so that's that's been a good a good process of working through that. In addition to that, there was also targeted fasting that I uh, took up and kind of gave up for the summer, but I think it'll come back here in the winter, which should coincide and psychologically that should make sense um you know that, that you're you're cutting off a little bit of food when you you would theoretically have to budget it a little bit more so hopefully that budgeting comes into play uh, i'm not sure what this uh next spring is going to look like but i would bet we're you know we're going to probably see increased lockdowns um given what i've seen so far so let's let's hope and pray that's not the case but uh you know that's just uh what i seem to be seeing so I'm trying to prepare for that. The next uh, the next piece of it that I noticed actually from my most more one of my more recent podcasts in September was uh, cold therapy and guided breathing. Uh, this idea of the nefesh uh, that that the scriptures speak of, and I, I've been kind of pondering that more these past few weeks, and really trying to get into it. Um, I have to pardon that background noise. I'm I'm realizing that. This is, I guess, the newest, the newest piece is how do we cut out noise, right? Because breathing is great and all, but one of the things that I did quite frequently when I would do my guided breathing was I would put on some music in the background, and I actually found that it was better. 
but the best of all came when I didn't have noise and yet I pondered the things that were really bugging me, right? Usually, usually when they do, when you do guided breathing, they, they, they tell you to clear your mind. Well, the problem for me is when I clear my mind, I got a lot of thoughts. And I know that's the point is you, you, you want to clear your mind and then a thought comes up and then you clear it again. It's like, well, what's the point of a clear mind? The point of a clear mind is to process information. You know, as long as I got the time, I might as well do it. Um, and I found I actually could could stay in a meditative state more if I found a single idea and I just focused on it. And I, I think that's that's more in character with what I'm going through right now in my current stage of life, that I need that ability to focus on a single thing. But I also think it's it's just generally a better idea. You know, if I go running, I find that ideas will come and go. Uh, especially if I'm not listening to music, which is seriously, I mean, music is the new the new uh, struggle for me. And so I'll get to that in a bit. But, but when I go running, I can have a thought come in and leave and come in and leave. And you know, oftentimes I'll come up with an artificial beat just from the, the footfalls that I'm, that I'm making. And uh, there's, there's, power to that. I mean, there's something intrinsically musical about that exercise, uh, but we'll, we'll touch on that in a sec. To get back to the music, right, I'm trying to, I'm trying to wean back the music a little bit because I've, I've realized it's a bit odd that we can play music. Like, it's not natural to play music. It's the same, like, unnaturalness that a television is or a, a TV screen or a cell phone. That's like, the communications, they're all dreadfully unnatural in by which i mean that the nature of music as far as i can tell is that is community that you really can't make music without community you can try I mean, you, like i was saying when, when i'm going for a run it kind of just pops into my head so you can perform music you can appreciate music on your own but it has a different character and the types of music that we, we have now are they're symbols of bigger societies than we're actually capable of. So we're almost deceiving ourselves into believing that we have bigger communities and stronger communities than we actually do because we've outsourced the music to the digital world, to, I mean, heck, to the phonograph or the CD player even. You know, that we don't need somebody there making music for us. We don't have to invest in having good musicians. We'll just push play. Um, there's something incredibly unnatural about that, that, that the mind understands. And it's why we enjoy music. It's be- because it is, a, it is a symbol of community. Right? Now, obviously, there is beauty in, in music intrinsically. And I don't want to discard that. There, there can be enjoyment found from listening to a piece of music by oneself, but music generally can't be made by oneself. And there's some, some dark sorcery going on in believing we can achieve that. Still, one of my favorite life experiences came at the end of my uh, university studies. I had a presentation for my capstone project, and then I uh, had been invited by my sister who was in the one of the night, like the like the nice choir. She was in the really good top level choir. Um, they uh, they were performing Brahms' German Requiem, 
and it happened to coincide with the, you know, the timing was perfect, so I could just hop over there after my presentation. So I went over there in my uh, suit and tie and got got myself a ticket and sat down and had plenty of space. And I'm just sitting there with the full orchestra and this massive choir in front of me and listening to them speak something in a language I did not understand. And it was transcendently beautiful. I mean, just gorgeous and i've tried listening to it um on recording you know a different recording of it and it, because i'm trying to, to to hold on to that memory as best i can but frankly talking about it right now i can remember it remember it more vividly than if i was actually listening to the music and frankly the music that pops into my head isn't the recording but it's the live it's that live listening experience it's that community that i was a part of right there um some group of people came together with the belief that it was it was meaningful to develop skill with their instruments and then play this music and this music was was considered worth worth performing because it was beautiful and it just so happened that it speaks about Christ and it speaks about scripture and it speaks about the transcendent truth that it, that lies therein and there's there's something to that that we have forgotten in the in our modern in our modern world in our in our lust for modernity in our belief that a, a light is inherently better than a flame because a flame could burn your house down and that somehow artificial light is better as a consequence i don't believe that anymore and and i'm i'm trying to wrestle with what to do now you know wh- how do we live in a world where we are so surrounded with modernity and it's it's a legitimate struggle it's a legitimate question well you know music will always be at my fingertips how do i make the decision to avoid something that i love well maybe it's not a matter of avoiding it maybe it's more a matter of using it wisely and that kind of gets back to the idea of the nefesh that i was talking about before um the the breath and I was recently listening to a podcast by uh, Pastor Jonathan Fisk from Rockford, Illinois, and Reverend Dr. Adam Kuntz uh, from Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne. A um, couple of very fascinating fellows, and they're wrestling with some of the same ideas, and so that's probably where I get my um, excuse to wrestle with them is in part. You know, I will admit part of this is simply my uh, experience of the zeitgeist in the, in the modern world. Part of it is the fact that they're wrestling with it and it makes it easier to to have a jumping off point. But I was listening. Oh, no, it wasn't. He, he, was, he talks with Pastor, uh, Reverend Dr. Kuntz quite often, but this particular conversation was with uh, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller out of Austin, Texas. And one of the things that they, they that just popped up and it was really frustrating was they were talking about the body and the spirit and saying oh how they're they're very similar you know or, or they're more similar than we think they are right we we are denying a reality when we try to make a clear divide between the two right is probably the best way of exp- expressing that idea it's not that they're not different they are it's that where we divide them is not necessarily the best idea and to speak of the human experience without referencing one of them is short-sighted and foolish okay so humans have both pieces body and soul you know the physical and the spirit 
spiritual, right? But that word spirit, right, again, is it's breath, it's life, it's the thing that, that God breathes into man, is a living soul. And one of the things that, and the reason I'm bringing this up is that they were commenting about this and the brain just kept got getting brought up far too often. And it really started to frustrate me. Because that's really part of our modern idolatry. Or, or, or foolishness, maybe, is a better way of putting it. That we have connected our humanity with our minds. But every creature has a mind. And yes, admittedly, we have a different one. But that is not where the scriptures place our differential. And as Christians, we ought to focus on that. That yes, we do have a mind, and we, we our mind is different, but it's not just the mind, right? So I should probably caveat that. Yeah, I was probably wrong a second ago. That yes, the mind is different, but our our breath is also different. And there's you know I don't know if that's a scientific fact. It's a it's a spiritual fact though. That the seat of the of the soul, right? The seat of your breath is your heart and it makes way too much sense makes way too much sense um, that the place that pumps the oxygen throughout your body right what what makes your blood flow right without blood you die without blood your brain can't function without oxygen you're nothing and and all of the the signals that that come about in the body, everything that functions in the body is a consequence of that. Without it, you have nothing. And so, we've forgotten the value of the heart. In our belief that rational mind, you know, that, that, that thinking is the true path to enlightenment. And I've talked about this before, that enlightenment is a biblical concept is, you know, specifically, uh, my context was in uh, the Gospel of Luke on the road to Emmaus, where the two uh, the two uh, disciples, when they have realized that it was Jesus, they say, "Did not our hearts? You know, were not our hearts made to burn within us? Or were not our hearts enlightened when He spoke to us? When He opened the Scriptures? Was this not enlightenment to hear God's word?" rightly proclaimed and divided and explained in, in, in context of how it relates to Christ. That's enlightenment. Okay. Was not our heart enlightened? Why the heart? Why the heart? Because it is the seat of the soul. Because it is the thing that is the core of your being, right? You can't tell that you have a brain from the outside, Really, I mean, we speak about the gray matter, but we really, that's really not, not, that's really short-sighted. You know you have a heart. You know you've got a heartbeat. You can feel it anywhere. You can feel it on your neck. You can feel it in your chest. You can feel it on your toes. You can feel it in your, in your wrists. You can feel it all throughout your body. It's flowing. It connects your body together. You do have a nervous system. Yes, you just can't see it. You have to kind of believe in it. You really don't have to believe in your heart. Because it won't shut up. And if it does shut up, you're in trouble. The seat of the breath. The place from which all of that flows. Right? 
There's some wisdom in that. And, and I think part of the reason that we've forgotten that is because it's become a, a bit of a cliche. You know, that you, we, we refer to the heart as if it's some emotional thing. And yeah, there's emotion to it. But I think, in fact, when we speak of the heart in emotional terms, we're shortchanging it. It's so much deeper than that. And when we allow people to get away with saying that, you know, that, that they're feeling something in their heart when it's just, um, when it's not their heart but their loins, right? There's a huge difference between the two of them. Um, and we really should differentiate. We should steal the heart back. We should steal the, the, the references to the heart back in our, in our psychology, in the way we talk, in our, in our ling- language is probably what I mean to say. We should, we should recognize the heart for what it actually is and that it is a deep spiritual thing. It is much more serious than we usually give it credit for. Um, because we, we look at it and we think, oh, look at all these sappy people who talk about their hearts. Well, no, they're actually, they're, they're not sappy. They're, frankly, uh, shortchanging one of the, the deepest spiritual things that exists, right? Um, the heart is, is, a, is a fascinating thing. And, you know, as is the liver, um, which, is, which is also connected with the human the human, I think, spirit. I, I'm not 100% sure. Maybe it's not the spirit, but there's something with the liver that is some, uh, some deep connection with your, your being. And there's, there's really good reality behind that too, which is a, a good advice why you shouldn't drink too much because you drink too much and you will actually blunt yourself. Uh, you need that working properly. It's your gut. It's your you know, instinct. It's, it's, it's who you are. So, you know, to a certain extent, you, you know that because, you know, if you get hungry, it's your stomach that's, that's calling you. But the regulation for that is going to come, you know, properly from your liver. And there's, there's some, you know, I didn't take biology. Or I did take biology, but I didn't really take human anatomy. From what I understand, though, the liver also has a significant role to play in, in uh, the functions of the body. So I'll leave it at that uh, for those wiser than me to... To explore in greater detail, but off on, you know with that tangent then. So so why music then? Well, music music gets your heart rate going up, right? When you're singing, you're breathing hard. When you're dancing, right? When you're dancing, your heart rate goes up, your breathing increases, and you're interacting with some sort of community, generally speaking, because of the music. Um, there's something, there's something deeper to that that we have forgotten because it's too easy, because it's too simple, because we don't actually have to work for it anymore. We've cheapened it all. And now what we have is the remnants of dancing and that we think that it's, it's a good in and of itself, but it's, it's not, it is, but it's a piece of a greater whole. And by clinging to the remnants of a lost culture, we ignore the fact that the culture has, in fact, been lost. Connecting to this, I've actually got a, an interesting, you know, anti-modernity anecdote. I've, I've got a big uh, wall clock, not a big wall clock, but, you know, one of those typical analog clocks, you know, that ticks and goes around in the circle with, you know, numbers 1 to 12 on it. Yeah, it's a nice clock. Um, and... 
and it, the ticking was oh man it was so loud it was it was nice i never really heard it though because i was always listening to something else well when you turn everything else off the, the ticking gets very very pronounced and eventually i decided to shut it off pulled out the battery um it is amazing how many times I will I continue to look at a clock that doesn't work when I want to know what time it is. Instinct. I immediately go to that. It's like faster than the phone, which is good, um, but it's amazing just, just how instinctual it is. Oh, I know that's a clock. I recognize it as a clock. I need to know what time it is. Um, and it's interesting because then what happens is I've got this this thing on my wall that doesn't tell me the time but I look to to tell me the time and so what it tells me is you've got plenty of time just just slow down you're fine slow down relax you don't have anywhere to be you really don't because you can always communicate with wherever you're going to go and you know, you'll be fine like we are so interconnected that we really don't need to rush around as much as we we think we do the uh the age of the clock is over I'm going to show up at work when they, you know, exactly when they want me to. And I've got, I'm, you know, it's not like I don't use clocks. I have the digital ones because they're everywhere. But once I clock out, time is, time is kind of fuzzy because why should I budget it based on time? That, that really doesn't make a lot of sense. There's a lot of wisdom I'm going to lose if I look to the clock as my Lord and Savior because it's not. If I look from, to my clock as the thing that's, that ought to drive everything that I do, I'm a fool. So back to the anecdote, right? I take it out and I decide, right? All right, what, sh what time should I put it at? Um, and I decided upon noon as a uh, devotional thing. It, it also looks kind of clean to have the, both the, the fingers together. But uh, you know, to kind of remember the, uh, the hour at which our Lord hung upon the cross. It's, it's a nice devotional devotional piece. So I'm instinctually looking at it and I'm remembering, oh yeah, it's at noon because of that. Um, at least subconsciously and, and or every other time, which is nice. It's very nice. But I was looking at it a couple days ago and I, it struck me that I hadn't adjusted it with the second hand. The second hand wasn't at noon perfectly. It was 10 seconds after midnight. Or noon, right? Ten seconds after noon, but ten seconds after midnight struck me. Because of the way that we talked about nuclear Armageddon at the peak of the modern world, right? In the Cold War, where mutually assured destruction ruled the, our operations, and we were sure that we would die in a nuclear holocaust. And the countdown to that was so many seconds to midnight. Two seconds, five seconds, you know, ten seconds to midnight. Well, I don't think we ever started at ten seconds to midnight because, well, they had to ratchet up the fear somehow. Had to make sure you were constantly afraid and constantly engaged in, in uh, being invested in the fascist system we were building. Um, that is an anecdote for another time about the fascist state of insurance policy. But uh, that's an Easter egg for those of you who were there. But... It's 10 seconds after midnight is what I've got my clock set to, which is in a very odd thought that perhaps the world did kind of fall apart. Perhaps we did actually reach the end, and it wasn't the end we were expecting because we thought that the world was going to end the way we wanted it to. But that's not how it works. That's not the end of the world. 
that's just life going on as usual to a certain extent, right? It, it, whatever becomes the inevitable result is, you know, I mean, that's obviously dealing with a bit of, you know, is, is all, are all things written down beforehand and you know, then you start questioning the mind of God. What I'm saying here is you think life's going to work out a certain way. Everybody's got an assumption that they base their analysis of the future off of. And if you're not making an analysis of the future, then you're assuming everything's going to be fine. You're assuming that life's going to go on as it is, and you really don't need to plan. Well, if it goes on as it is, you still need to plan. So you're a fool. But but if you're trusting in your exact plan, you're also a fool. So it's about having a, an idea, but not trusting in your idea. And I think what happened is we had an idea about how the world was going to work. We had an understanding of how life was going to occur, that we, you know, the nation was going to keep fighting against nation in the same way they always had. And then it stopped. And then it stopped, and the battles changed. The battles changed, and the field of warfare changed, and, and the full might of evolutionary philosophy finally bore down on us. The last gasp of Darwin's failed ideology is upon us now. The belief that technology is a sign of advancement, that advanced technology means that you're more evolved, and that somehow that's a good thing. And that's the world we're living in right now. And we lost that. We lost that, that war, um, and that world, the world of, of yesteryear, fell apart. I don't know if it was the Industrial Revolution, or I don't know if it was World War One or World War Two or the Cold War. Either way, that clock right now serves to remind me that we're on the other side of the apocalypse. Ah, Easter egg word. We're on the other side of the end of an era, is a better way of putting that. The apocalypse would be the unveiling, the revealing, which did occur. The world has already ended once um, at noon. Well, a little afternoon. I think it was, what, 3 o'clock the world ended? Um, about a couple thousand years ago. Now we're just living in the aftermath. Well, in this unveiling aftermath of the end of the world and the unraveling of the, uh, the brokenness of creation, well, I think we've hit the end of another epoch. And we need to realize that time goes on. The clock doesn't stop at midnight. And, and it was foolish of us to believe that we could move time backwards, that we could ever de-escalate. No, the clock kept ticking. And it was a great idea, but it was, it was wrong to say, to use that idea of midnight as you know, like nuclear Armageddon. It, it wasn't. I don't know exactly what it was. And I think Terminator tried to hit on one idea of what that could be, and the Hunger Games has tried to hit on a different idea, and you know, they're all trying to figure out what it is that what is the dystopia that is to come. Well, we're living in it. Your life is ruled by a, a phone. I saw a picture recently of somebody looking at their phone, and they were cradling it in their hands to look at it because it's large. I, I kid you not. You could have photoshopped an infant in there, and they would have been equally appropriate it was it was shocking and it was only shocking because i've i like it wouldn't have been shocking for me three years ago heck it wouldn't probably not been shocking 12 months ago maybe even six but looking at that picture today i'm thinking 
goodness me. We're worshiping it. We're, we're, we're using it to, to replace what is real. Like real, genuine connection with music. Like actual, genuine time. Which is not the ticking of a clock, but the movement of the sun. Which we have harnessed in the ticking of a clock because the sun happens to move at regular intervals. But the point is not to harness that for your own personal gain and, and dissection. The point is that eventually you'll just learn to trust that system and to rely on the clock that God gave you. He builds you to handle it. He builds you with an implicit understanding of time that we're actually losing. Isn't that depressing? We've we've forgotten how to operate without clock. I was I was talking to a kid a couple weeks ago. I asked him if he'd ever tried navigating without a phone. If he like had ever just tried retracing his steps. Didn't he didn't know. Now, admittedly he was a little bit younger, but seriously. If the video games teach us anything, it's supposed to be pathfinding. If they don't teach you how to read a map and or or read the lay of the land, Ah, at this point, I don't even know if they're any good. If the, maybe that little dot in front of everybody's eyes, you know, like the the pathing dot, and you just oh, just follow the dot. It's enough. Just stand on your dot six feet apart from everybody else. Cover your mouth. Don't engage your nefesh. Limit your breath. It's not that important. Other things are more important than breath, spirit, nefesh doesn't matter if you get a heart attack. We'll just patch that up. You'll be fine. Keep eating the same garbage. Keep believing the same garbage. Keep absorbing content. Stay hooked in. Forget reality. And numb your soul to everything that you ought to be doing. And it's really, really quiet in here now that I've actually turned off the music. But that... That... That quiet is normal. I've been trying to embrace the darkness of winter this year. So right now, my uh, screen for my, my computer is at its lowest brightness. And it's on a as orange a tint as I can possibly put on it. So, you know, avoid the blue screen. That strange strangeness of the blue, the blue light. It's a, it's a, it's a drug. And the brightest thing in my apartment right now is a candle. And admittedly, that's a risk. But it's real. Yes, it could burn. But it's real. And it's not to say that electricity isn't real or that, you know, we, we shouldn't use, you know, light bulbs. Light bulbs are good, and I will continue to use light bulbs when I you know, need to read. Because reading by candlelight, as fun as it is, is not the end-all be-all and, you know, maybe not something you should do every night. And you should maybe, maybe there are, our houses are not designed to handle fire, even though we could design them pretty well to handle fire nowadays. You know, you could actually build a pretty good Viking longhouse, I would argue. Relatively fire, uh, fire safe. But we don't, so, you know, you do have to somewhat live within the conditions of the world you're in. Adopt some of the ways of the people amongst whom we are sojourning. And that's not, that's not necessarily evil. 
But believing that those things are inherently good just because they're enjoyable or they make life easier and that, or, or that's not good. And then worshiping them as the solution, as, as some like necessary thing, you know, not, not fasting from them, not fasting from blue light, not fasting from the internet, not fasting from human communication is folly. You don't know what blessings you have until you fast of them, but that's not the point. The, the point is to make sure that you don't worship the technology, that you don't think that it's somehow greater than you or that you're somehow greater than your ancestors who probably lived, who may have very well lived happier lives than you with much less because they had to find other ways to make things work. Because if they wanted to listen to music, then they would come together at a tavern and dance and drink and be merry. They'd sing together. They actually had songs that they knew by heart because they hung out and sung together. Because what else are you going to do? And that's really the malaise of the modern world. There's so much we could do. There's so much to do. So many options. So much freedom. Well, I'm starting to not believe that. I'm starting to believe that all the music that I could listen to isn't real music. And yeah, it's music, but, but what if it's not? What if it's not actually music? What if all the lights aren't actually lights? What if all the, uh, what if all the food that we've been eating isn't actually food? Right? What if this life we've been living is as artificial as the intelligence behind it, the algorithms guiding us further and further into our digital dystopia? Welcome to the Matrix, eh? What if it's all been moving along this route of believing that we can make a better world by artificially replacing and, and controlling the world that we're living in and ignoring the wisdom of those who came before, assuming they did not know what they were doing? What folly is that? And we continue to bore ahead. Believing that somehow, hey, you know what, we've got a new way of making vaccines. That'll save us. We'll edit people's DNA. There couldn't be anything wrong with that. We'll edit the cellular DNA in order to actually have the cells create the virus. And we'll have them do that. And then they'll fight the virus. What could possibly go wrong? Now, admittedly, there are people who dedicate their lives to this, and I'm sure that, that they are doing this with the best of intentions. But how many of those people are actually versed in theology and theology of the body and understanding what it is to be a human being? I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid of that. And Lord willing, we'll all be preserved. But I think 
my experiences so far with trying to cut out the artificiality. You know, yeah, there's a, there's always a, a a longing in the first you know couple minutes after I shut off the screen that where it's like, oh, I got to go back. And you just sit there and breathe for a while in the silence. Breathe deeply. There's something there's something magical to that. There's something mystical, I guess maybe a better word. Mysterious. There's something intensely human about sitting there and being a human. Who'd have thunk? The one thing computers will never be better than uh, at than us at doing. They may have better processing power. They may actually be mimicking the human brain. But the idea that a human is only a brain, that the idea that you can mimic reality by simulating it electronically is folly. And whether we know it or not, our world is being shifted in that direction. Because there are enough people who've been raised with enough technology to think that it is the solution to all their problems, which is the definition of worship. You know, it's the thing you look to to solve problems. Hey, we got a problem. What should we do? Oh, let's make another machine. Let's throw it at the engineers. All right, well, let's, let's, we got car accidents. Let's, uh, let's make self-driving cars. Brilliant. It's not. It, it's, it's honestly kind of despicable. Um, and so look, I mean, prepare for your technological overlords. Right? The guys who control technology will be the, the are, are your kings because they're the ones who actually have an effect on your life. Google, Google has an empire. Apple has an empire. And it just so happens that they have relatively short uh, terms for their kings. Um, you know, the CEO of Apple, Tim Cook. Well, actually, he's been on there for a little while. I don't think we'll have a Cook dynasty. I think it's more like the late Roman Empire, where, you know, each guy's, each emperor is going to replace himself. But that's the model. They've built a massive empire with a bunch of loyal subjects who will continue to pay their taxes by buying the new phone every year. And thereby, they will make, they will add value to the product. I mean, this, Apple's brilliant at this. They've added value to their product by making people want it. And so you do. And we all got our brand spanking new technology that we keep using. And our brand spanking new healthcare, right? That's the new field. Amazon's looking to go into pharmaceuticals. Frankly, I hope they do, because the existing pharmaceuticals could use a kick in the seat of the pants, but it's not it's kind of scary to realize that that's what they're looking at. In other words, that's how bad it's gotten that we've we've made a system inefficient enough that the tech lords are coming in for it. Every single inefficient system will be absorbed eventually. It's the Borg from Star Trek. They're going to try and take everything they can because people who think like me, who can build cool toys, think that that's the right solution. And that's really frustrating for me because I, I know where they're coming from. I know the cool toys they could build and I know the efficiency that I wish I could add to civilization sometimes. But here's the problem. 
it's not my right. And it is not right. And so all this technology, technology we're doing, all this technological addition that we're, we're putting into society, it's not, it's not the right answer. It's not going to fulfill our sadness. It'll make us more reliant on systems that are less stable. And as our population continues to decrease, fewer and fewer people will maintain that infrastructure and our standard of life will collapse. We won't see it because we won't believe it because we'll be continually deceived by incremental improvements or by increasing centralization, which will allow for simplicity, but also allow for the new feudal state. Now, that's a massive jump, admittedly, right? That's a lot of, lot of mental leaps there. Sure, sure. But what do you expect? What do you expect if the population decreases? What do you expect to happen? Do you expect your standard of living to go up? No, you shouldn't. Or maybe you should, because maybe we'll finally realize that it's all an enigma. It's all a, it's all fake. So much of it, so much of what we've been leaning on, so much of what we've been trusting in has been false. And now we've actually got a chance to turn back to what's real. That this belief in the the good, simple, straightforward ease of everyday life, well, that's maybe a bit short-sighted. And I'm not saying it's going to go down hard, because it won't. What I'm saying is we're 10 seconds past midnight, and the music stopped. We just can't tell the music stopped because we're playing recordings. Because we're playing recordings, we don't know that the system's already fallen. And the people who are building the next world are starting now. They may not even realize it, but some of them do. And some of them think they're building it, and they don't realize that in their own hubris, they're only going to destroy themselves. And that's my current thought on the Great Reset, by the way. It's a brilliant plan, and it'll fall apart miserably because it's... It's a paper, it, because it's too public, it is far too well known. So it's not the real plan. There's something else underneath it going on or behind it, or, you know, it's, it's a smoke screen. Or perhaps it is the actual folly of whoever's in charge and it's, it's going to fall apart either way, eventually. One of these days I'll actually talk about the Sons of Solomon. Probably not today, but consider that a uh, heads up because what's happening right now is that we're preparing ourselves for, for whatever comes next. Who are we to say that the Roman Empire was better in its collapsing form than what came after it? Because frankly, it's possible that after a couple of generations, people enjoyed the, the, the local governance more. It's possible that if we lost the internet tonight, we would be happier in 75 years. We don't know. We don't know how trapped we are by our own comfort, by our own way of life. The nice thing is, we actually have a chance to try it out. So... This COVID holiday season, I would encourage you to think about what actually matters, 
what's more important in your life? You know, what are you willing to die for? And what are you willing to, to move for? What are you willing to displace yourself for? What are you willing to build for? What is worth putting down roots? And, uh, and know that every system we have is designed to prevent you from doing that. And everyone, everybody who's in charge believes that's not, that's not going to work for you. Um, so give it some thought. Maybe take a, a day and skip the treats. Maybe take some time and skip the phones, skip the photos, and just remember something. Just remember it. Maybe turn off the music, turn off the Wi-Fi, read a book, you know. Or maybe, this is probably the better advice, the next time you do listen, pay attention to what it's saying. Because there may be something going on there that you didn't know before. And think about what it's, what's actually going on. Even if it's not saying it, think about what you're doing. What headspace are you in? What drug are you taking? And why? Why is it legal? It's an interesting thought. I'm not saying we should ban technology. I think we should legalize marijuana. I know that between pot and the blue light on my phone, one is significantly more dangerous for my long-term health. And that's worth pondering. And only one of them actually activates and encourages the use of breath. Worth, worth some pondering. And I'll talk to you next time.